0: Happy Easter to all of you. I know some of you, I didn't have a chance to say it last week, and because you weren't here, you were with family or friends, and uh, this week uh, is still a good thing to be a Christian, and, and that Jesus is still risen from the dead. <clears throat> um, if you're a guest with us, you may not know that in the service folder is a gold insert. And uh, that insert is, uh, has an outline there with uh, the primary points that we're looking to take away from God's Word today. And you're very welcome to take that out, fill in the blanks if you can <clears throat> or would like to. And uh, pray that that's a, a blessing to you as we uh, study God's Word together today. A couple of months ago, um, my kids and I were in the car, and we stopped at Target to pick something up, and uh, as I was getting out of the car, I knew that for whatever reason, I was going to be using cash, not credit card, and, and so I needed to grab some change. I wanted to grab some change um, from my car. Now, where do you put change in your car? Anyone? Anyone? I heard ashtray. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's where I have put my change in the car. So I, I reach under the radio, under the console, I pull out that little slidey tray and uh, take out some change. And, you know, I've done this hundreds of times with my kids in the car. But for whatever reason, at least one of my kids, my daughter, has never noticed that before. And she sees me do this and she says that's so cool. There's like a secret compartment to put your money in. That's so cool. And, and as, as I'm thinking about that secret compartment, I'm thinking, yeah, that's kind of right. That's kind of what it's for, but I'm not going to get into all the details of what it's, what it's really for, that little tray for money. Um, in fact, if... Uh, Even, I mean, I'm doubting anyone in this room probably uses it for ashes. Uh, Even if you are a smoker, most people don't use the ashtray for ashes anymore. And so over the years, what's kind of happened to the ashtray is it's become a money holder. It's lost its purpose, hasn't it? At least its designated original purpose. Now, as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, that's okay with an ashtray, I mean, it's okay. It's probably a good thing. But is it a good thing in other areas of life? And what, what if, and when people lose purpose, it's not so good of a thing. Um, I use some general examples um, that may or may not apply to you. But sometimes a, a mother, especially a stay-at-home mom, is has poured herself into her kids so much and this doesn't have to just be for stay at home that when the the kids leave and it's an empty nest that sometimes I've seen it where where moms feel like they've lost some purpose Um, guys sometimes and and working women um, I think sometimes we find too much of our purpose in what we do at work and then when that's not going well we feel like we have no purpose Um, what happens if the church loses its purpose? That's what we're going to be talking about today. What happens if the church would lose its purpose? And before we talk about that, we need to talk about what the church is. Because for most of us in 21st century America, when you hear the word church, the first thing you think of is not what the first century Christians would have thought of. (laughs) Because the first thing you think of is is here's the door, here, here's the steeple, open the door, and here's the people, right? You, you think of a building. When, when you think of church, you think of a place you go for an hour or two on Sunday morning, and you get served, right? You, you sit and listen to a sermon, you sing songs, or listen to someone who's much better singing than I am singing songs and follow with my heart. You have a cup of coffee, you have something to eat, maybe the kids are in fusion, and then you go home, and then when does church come up again? Next week when you do the same thing. That's not the way the Bible speaks of church. The Bible doesn't speak of church anything like that. In fact, when a first century Christian would have heard the word church, their first question wouldn't have been um, traditional or contemporary. The first question wouldn't have been organ or band. The first question, because it, it, it wasn't about banners and it wasn't about flowers and it wasn't about steeples or no steeples and it wasn't about any of that. The Greek word for church is ecclesia. The word in the Bible used for church is ecclesia. And ecclesia does not mean building, it means a people, it means a gathering, it means an assembly. And specifically in the Bible, the word ecclesia or church references a group of people gathered around Jesus. A group of people who have Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus in common. And they could have a building and they may not have a building. And they could meet in a place with a steeple or they could just meet in homes because that's what most of the people did in the first century. And so the first point as we begin this really, I think, transformational series for our church uh, is found on your screen, or on the screen, that first fill in. The church is a gathering of Christians. It's not this building. It's not the one we're going to build over there. It's not me. You are the church. And we, together, are the church. Now, As I said at the beginning of the service, Easter was kind of the event, if you look in history, Easter was the event that launched the Christian church as you know it. Certainly there was the gathering of of Jewish believers in the Old Testament, but the Christian church, the church that gathers around the message of Jesus risen from the dead, that started with Easter. And right after Jesus rose from the dead, he did something to help the church kind of get launched did a couple things one of the things he did was he stuck around here on earth in his risen body for a while does anyone know how many days he stuck around nikki 40 days exactly 40 days he was here um, on this earth and it wasn't because there was some sightseeing he wanted to do in galilee and didn't get to it because of you know the whole death and resurrection thing no it wasn't that he stuck around the bible tells us for a very specific purpose and we're gonna it will read it but I'm going to share it first. He came to show people that he was alive. I mean, if someone came to you and said, you know, I, I put my hope and trust in someone who died and rose again um, and lives, uh, you probably would have a hard time believing, especially back then. But if, if Jesus had appeared to that person, it becomes a little easier. And so Jesus wanted to launch the church with a positive momentum. And so he stuck around and he appeared to the 12 disciples, 11 at that point. And then Paul writes, maybe you didn't know this, that Jesus actually appeared to over 500 people, all for the purpose of strengthening their faith in Easter, in the resurrection. And then at the very end of those 40 days, Jesus gathers his disciples together, the the 11, on a hill with a few of his closest women followers too. And he shares with them a message right before, on that 40th day, he ascends to heaven. And that's where the book or letter of Acts begins. And we're going to to read nine verses right now. Here's what uh, Luke, who is the author of the Gospel of Luke, He's the Christian, uh, first century Christian who wrote Acts. He writes, In my former book, that would be Gospel of Luke, Theophilus, the person that he's writing to, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So Jesus gathers the people. He gives instruction, the instruction we're going to look at in just a moment because Luke writes about it. After Jesus' suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem. Stay here for a while. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John, baptized with water, But in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Uh, For those of you who are familiar with the New Testament, what's referenced there, that last part? In a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Say it loud and proud. Someone. Pentecost. I can hear Dan's voice. Pentecost, exactly. Pentecost. And Pentecost was 50 days after Easter, 10 days after Ascension, a day that God gave the Holy Spirit, in a very special way to these disciples. Verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And if if you ever feel like you don't always get God's ways... um, Take heart. The disciples were the same way. Um, they still are wondering, so Jesus, is, now, is this now when we get to become kings in this earth and you're going to restore a new Israel, a new Jerusalem? And, and, and they were slow learners. Jesus continues, he said to them, It was not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Right before a, a football team goes out onto the field, right before kickoff, the coach usually has a chance to talk to the team one final time. And when he's got the team in front of him, um, what, what is it that he talks about? Does he, uh, you know, talk about, hey guys, listen up. My wife and I are going out to eat this weekend, Applebee's or Old Country Buffet. <laughs> Neither. No, he doesn't talk about that. Okay, guys, we're, we're remodeling the kitchen. Um, should we go with a, a black bass?" Backsplash or what? No, he doesn't talk. About. You know what he talks about? He gets the, the guys together. He's like, "Hey, fellas, here's what you need to do. Here is the last time I have a chance to tell you the main points, the goals, the assignments that you have." He makes those last words mean something. <laughs> These were the last words that Jesus spoke before he left. You gotta, you gotta count on it that he made them count you got to know that he shared the most important part as he had his team huddled in front of him. He shared with them the goal, the purpose, and he said, you are to be witnesses, as I have highlighted there. Witnesses, first of all, in Jerusalem. That's where they lived, and they're probably thinking, all right, we can do that. We can share Jesus in Jerusalem, in in Lakeville. And and then he said, oh, and and also in Judea, which is kind of like the state. So, all right, <laughs> it's a little bit harder, but you can do that, I think. And then he said, and he wants you to share it to Samaria. And you know how Republicans don't get along with Democrats, and Democrats don't get along with Republicans, and then there's this whole other faction that, like, I don't like either Republicans or Democrats. I'm just, like, in the middle. And then you have me, this so I'm like, I've got other things to do. And uh, it's like this. that's how jews felt about samaritans and 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 don't doubt that jesus picked samaria for a very intentional purpose um you even need to take the message to people you don't get along with so well people that you may not think right off the bat that you you would need to go to samaria too and then and then jesus says and to the ends of the earth and the disciples at that point are probably like jesus do you know how big this world is and remember, it's the first century, and Jesus is probably thinking, yeah, you know what, disciples, you don't even know how big the world is at this point. (laughs) I mean, it's a lot bigger than you think it is. And yet the goal, the direction was to take it to the ends of the earth. Can I ask how many, you don't have to raise your hand because this is rhetorical. How many of you have heard about Jesus? Okay. How many of you have heard about Easter? How many of you have heard about his death? Where do you live compared to Israel? The ends of the earth. For 2,000 years, there's been people who have been willing together, even when at many times it meant death, uncomfortability, to do what God has called them to do so that you today, because of God, yes, but because of people, because of the church, know Jesus, have heard about Jesus. And our second fill-in is so huge for us that the church's main purpose, not the only purpose, but the church's main purpose, people, is to spread the message of Jesus. I, I've, I've run into to people, none of you here, so you don't need to feel guilty or anything. I, I've run into people at times and we've had discussions about this and, and I hear something like this. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I, you know, that whole sharing, it's just not my, it's not my thing. And, and, And there's variations of that same comment. And and, and I would say, well, in my heart, because I'm usually nicer in person until later when I get a a little more guts. And, you know, I would say, well, do you want to be a Christian? Well, then, you better get used to it. Because this is what it means to be a Christian. In your own way, with your own opportunities. But being a part of the church means that this is not an option. That being a Christian means that in your way, with your words, your actions, we have the purpose collectively to spread the message of Jesus. And uh, I really take a lot of comfort in the word witness that he uses because um, God didn't call me to, to know everything about the Bible, even as a pastor. Sometimes uh, I have uh, very... Um, Good Christians who come and good friends and want to talk about election, uh, which is a doctrine in the Bible. And I I love talking about difficult things, but at the end of the day, um, I can't fully explain it, the doctrine of election. There's things in the Bible that that I I don't have all the answers. Even as a pastor, you don't have all the answers, but the good news is this. You weren't called to have all the answers. You were called to do what? To be a witness. You know what a witness does? It experiences something and then just tells people what they've experienced. Has something happened to them and they share with other people what has happened to them in their own words, in the way that they would do it. It doesn't mean have all the answers. It means you share what happened to you. When I was a kid, we went on a we went boating with my grandpa. I was probably about 13 or so. My my brother was eight, and he had a pontoon boat, my grandpa did, and it was a beautiful night and day and turning into night. It was about time for us to come in, and my brother and I were in the lake kind of swimming around and things, and so... Grandpa comes around with a pontoon boat and uh, the plan was that, you know, we would grab onto the side of the pontoon as he kind of went slowly and pull ourselves up. And so I I was the first one kind of near the boat. So he came across and and I pulled myself up and, you know, very, very easily because, of course, I'm very strong. I just, you know, especially compared to my brother. And my brother wasn't able to do it. And it had less to do with him not being strong, but more do that I was five years older than him. Fell into the water, and I can't even remember exactly how what happened next happened. I think it had something to do with my grandpa turning around, but the next thing I know, my the boat's here, and my brother's here, and the boat's going over the top of my eight-year-old brother. And as I watch this, before it even computes in my brain, my my dad, who's in his clothes, he's already jumped in the water before that propeller would possibly hit my eight-year-old brother if he wasn't smart enough to go under. He swam underneath, pulled my brother under. My brother was okay. And uh, I was uh, talking to him a couple days ago, brainstorming on this, this message and this text, and I asked him, you know, what, um, if, when you think of rescues, what, what comes to your mind, Dustin? Dustin? And it took him one second, and he told me that story which I had forgotten about. You know why? Because when you witness a rescue, you don't soon forget it. Even if it happened 25 years ago or so, as in that case. When you witness a rescue, it's on the tip of your brain, it's on the tip of your heart, and all you need is an opportunity, like my brother did, to share it, 25 years old. Or the story is... You know what the problem is sometimes with us guys is that we've heard about the rescue for so long that we take it for granted. That we've known about what Jesus has done, some of us, for so long that it's not on the tip of our tongues anymore. And that church becomes a place where we go for an hour instead of the the greatest rescue, that is, the message of the church, the greatest rescue we've ever had, that Jesus jumps into this life, jumps in, grabs us before the propeller of sin, death, and hell would kill us because of our sin and our forgetfulness and our waywardness and rescues us. Now, (laughs) we have a chance With however long we get to live, to share it, like many of you do, like all of you do sometimes, like all of us can do more. And as Jesus is about to leave this earth, the very last words he shares, like we said earlier, is, be my witnesses. Take this message that's changed you and share it. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Ugh, Samaritans, yes, yeah, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Take it. Now, you know what happens? Guys, we, we get distracted. As individuals, churches get distracted. Um, distractedness made me think of something I heard when I was a kid. Um, it was... Uh, a part of Bill Cosby himself that uh, sort of comedy sketch and I was going to uh, do my best Bill Cosby, you know, Jello impersonation um, but instead I thought I'd have you watch this
1: <laughs> Now my wife looks the situation over and she can tell when the children are not going to eat anymore see, she can tell they've, they've, they've fooled around long enough All right, now you fold fooled around long enough. Everybody get up from the table. My wife says this every night. Everybody get up from the table, go upstairs, take off all your clothes, get into the shower, please turn on the water. You have to tell them to do that. Because if you don't, they'll just wander around the tub. And then get out and get in the bed. Please use soap. That's mostly for my son. Rinse yourselves off, dry yourselves off, put on clean pajamas, get into the bed and go to sleep.
0: I feel exactly like that on some nights. It's like, they knew they were supposed to take a shower when they went up there, but all, of a sudden, all you hear is pounding on the ceiling and you know that they're not doing what they're supposed to, so you have to be very specific because otherwise kids get distracted. And that's exactly what happens at church sometimes, or churches. <laughs> I knew there was a purpose, but if you're not thinking about it, we lose track. And Jesus had to be very specific how do we get distracted as churches sometimes? What distracts us? You know, it's a lot of things, but here's the biggest distractor of churches, and uh, you know, I have some experience now uh, that I can speak from experience. The biggest distractor of churches staying on mission is ourselves, and here's why. Churches are made up of Christians. That's good. So it's natural that Christians will set the plans, Christians will set the mission, Christians will decide, you know, what things look like. Christians make all the decisions because the people who aren't here yet aren't here yet. Does that make sense? And so very naturally, a church can become very insider focused. And we get distracted from the mission by ourselves. And this brings me to our next fill in. The natural leaning of every church is towards insiders. I didn't come up with that phrase, I read it and I love it. The the natural leaning of every church is towards insiders. And it's so true. And some of it is just natural. Of course that will happen. But there's another part of this that also has a sinfulness attached to it. There's another aspect of this truth that has our sinful nature attached to It's because whether it be in church or any other section of life, the people we think about first and foremost is ourselves. And maybe the five or six other people that live in our house. It's just natural and we tend to think more about how things affect me rather than they affect other people. We want to please ourselves naturally first more than and, and more dedicated to that than pleasing other people. It's part of our sinful nature. The biggest idol you struggle with and I struggle with is the one I see in the mirror every day when I wake up. And I have to daily be aware of that and to check my heart and I'm guessing you do too. Now, I've had discussions about this type of topic over the years, this very thing with with Christians, and and so I feel like I need to be very specific with this. And I want to tell you what I'm not saying, okay? Because then you can't say that I am saying that because I just told you I'm not saying this, okay? (laughs) I am not saying that the church isn't here also to serve the church and Christians and insiders. I'm not saying that. I am not saying that the opinions and the, the thoughts and, and the direction of those who are part of the church don't matter. I am not saying that. Here's what I am saying. That the natural leaning of the, every church is towards insiders. So the best thing and the most important thing we need to hear, I don't need to tell you, let's do what we want to do. What we need to be reminded of is we need to do what's best for the kingdom and what's best for reaching those that don't know Jesus. Why? Because some pastor said so. No, because Jesus gathered his disciples around him and the day he left and the very last words he said was spread the message. You know what one of the most mature things you could learn and grow into and I'm still doing it as a part of this church One of the ways that this church best serves insiders is by growing their faith to the point where outsiders become more important than insiders. That's a level of maturity that I'm not totally quite at yet, but I want to be. And this is totally biblical. Love others more than you love yourselves. And people with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Christians should be more mature than those that don't have Him yet. And if we don't continue to come back to this point and with Jesus words, guess what? We become like, um, we become like kids wandering around the bath. Nah, I can't do it. Wandering, wandering around the bathtub without any clothes on, wondering what they're supposed to be doing. Right? Turn on the water. Last, uh, last night, um, I was here, some of you were also, for the grand opening of our, our music academy, that partner um, partnership that we have with that new music academy. And um, along with the grand opening, there was just kind of a celebration of Christian music. There's about four different bands. Everyone playing was younger than me, which is kind of crazy in and of itself. All 20-somethings and early 30-somethings. And I sat right around over there with Carrie and last night, I just for you know was here for two hours and just kind of felt in my heart this pride, like a, not a contemporary, but like an older brother, like a big brother, just thinking, this is what it's all about. That there is this next generation, and there's a generation after them, obviously too. But this these young people who are on fire for Jesus and are willing to give up a whole day and more to share a message in a way that connects with them, with their music. And it made me think about a, a quote that I had read not too long ago that is, is so true. It's, it's our last fill-in, that the, the Christian church, my friends, is the hope of the world. I know some of you are really into politics. You should be. It's not going to change the world. Some of you are really into social programs. That's great. Keep doing it. That won't change the world. Social programs, laws, legislation, it's the church. It's the message that we have that you know. It changes not actions. It changes hearts first. And when... When Jesus was leaving this earth and, and, and he had an opportunity to get this news out in a whole bunch of different ways, he didn't decide to set up a heavenly PA system that just blares it, you know, on the hour, every hour to everyone that Jesus lives and that he is your hope. And he didn't send angels to have beautiful feet. He entrusted it to us that we might, even me, have beautiful feet as in my words, in my actions, looking for opportunities as individuals and as a church to share that, what the world needs the most. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,